So our first film in the course was Charles Burnett's uh, Killer of Sheep, late 1970s film that uh, has its own really interesting history. We discussed this a little bit in class, but it's worth reiterating. It's a film that I think is widely acknowledged as among the very most important of its era. One of the most important um, African-American uh, films of the 20th century, certainly of the second half of the 20th century in terms of its innovation, in terms of its structure, in terms of its vision. And I think more, more than anything, it's one of those films that everybody who saw it, which, you know, in its moment, which were very few people, but so many people who saw it went on to become creatives, become, went on to become photographers and filmmakers on their own. It was a deeply influential film in terms of its content but also in terms of the kinds of things he achieved in you know, a very short piece using primarily uh, amateur actors um, and on a microscopic budget. The microscopic budget is part of why the film has remained so obscure um, and remained obscure for so many years where in some, you know, in, in some cases it had only sort of been rumored uh, to have been seen rather than seen by mass audiences. Because, as you know, if you watch the film, uh, Burnett uh, uses a, a number of musical pieces that are absolutely essential to the meaning of the film. Um, and in doing so, he, you know, as, as someone who was doing it for his master's degree, his Master of Fine Arts, um, he didn't have the money to pay those royalties, you know, the right to, to use the music in the film. And so it was taken uh, out of circulation for that reason and only restored and, um, you know, and, and you know, cleared all those copyright things uh, much later. So I find all that interesting. I just the history of this film is its own kind of story and its own kind of thing that I think requires a, a lot of uh, thoughtful attention. But we now have access to it, and, and we have access to it in its whole. I want to say just a, a few things about it. I think this is a, a shorter piece probably than most. Um, but because, in, you know, in order to, I think, to get at this particular film, one has to walk through scenes, right? But what the film for me is about, and why I put it in, in the course, is that it's very deeply about the 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 long-term or, or long-term isn't the right word, but this, this sort of sediment, sedimentary effect of anti-blackness on uh, one character, right? The main character. And it settles in on him because he's someone who, you know, he, he, he works to provide for his family um, at the, uh, uh, the, uh, slaughterhouse and is such a you know a, a difficult job but also a job in which especially at the end you see little bits and pieces of uh, joy right but for the most part Stan's life the main character Stan's life is a complete grind right and he comes home and the landscape shots right of his neighborhood I think are so important on the one hand you have a lot of movement in alleyways, right, which are not on main roads. Um, and so 
you get this sense of sort of being between worlds because that's what an alleyway is. It's between yards and homes, right? But it's not a common space like a street. It's like a more intimate, secluded, in-between space. And so for me, the, the alleyways in the film are so important because they, they, they position us as viewers to see and think about so many of the features of Stan's life and this, the life of his neighborhood that is happening in this sort of hidden space. As well, when the kids, uh, hidden but also common, I, I think that, 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 that's the, not a paradox, but that's the combination of elements that don't resolve, right? They're just sort of in tension with each other. But also the scenes with the ch when the children are playing in these, these dry dirt piles and throwing rocks at each other or like dirt clods, um, you know, it's typical sort of kid play, kids playing outside. But you see in the distance, and this is so important to me, you see in the distance um, a few uh, palm trees because the film takes place in Los Angeles. And if there's one thing that Los Angeles is known for, and certainly when he made the film in 1978, it's the way you would talk about Los Angeles is having these beautiful landscapes, right? With this sort of desert ocean um, uh, flora, right? Of, of, you know, everywhere you, you see palm trees and beaches and, you know, open roads and mansions and, and charming neighborhoods. But what Burnett does is put any indication of that far on the horizon of, of the visual field of his film, right? And so when the children are playing, they're playing in an abandoned space, right? It sort of looks like a, a, like a beginning of a construction site that's been uh, abandoned, right? And so the children play there and among the sort of mounds of dirt and rock. Then uh, the games they play are mundane, but where they play them and what the space looks like is just absolutely the critical part of that element of the film for me. I, I, I love that about, about Killer of Sheep, honestly. And then, you know, the film really is about Stan and his wife and how Stan's life, you know, something about his life, whether one wants to think about the slaughterhouse or the way the slaughterhouse is really kind of a, not kind of, is really a figure for his own destiny as an African-American man and for everyone in his, in his neighborhood or his community, right? This sense of, of just sort of being ushered around order, in orderly fashion in order to be slaughtered, in order to die a sort of anonymous and undignified death. So I think there's a, a symmetry there that Stan seems to understand and his, the other uh, characters in the film don't have uh, as, as visceral of an insight into it. They certainly, you can see that they feel it, right? You can see that despair is sort of creeping at the edges of most people's lives in the film. But those creeping edges of despair are not the same as Stan, who is absolutely drenched in a sense of alienation and hopelessness. This is why, and these are the most important parts of the film for me, when his wife, uh, the famous scene where, where the, she wants him to dance with her and they play a Dinah Washington song um, about this bitter world, right? And it's a song about the bitterness of, of life. 
and she's trying but it's sung the Dinah Washington song is sung and, and composed um, in such a lush way that it has a kind of romantic feel to it and she's trying to access that romance you know he has a shirt off she's rubbing her hands on his shoulders and on his chest trying to seduce him or just draw out of him a sense of physical intimacy and he can't right there's this sense of impotence right whether it's literally impotence in terms of his you know sexual intercourse performance or i think just more broadly is impotence like he can't actually just have the feeling of sensuality and physical passion for anyone including his wife that there's a sense where uh, in which uh, stan's body moves in the whole film in that same way that it's not affected by it's not drawn into it's just sort of a passive object moving across the world he lives in but it's also a world that tries to make meaning and there we talked about this a, a bit in class and somebody said really at the end uh said it really well of like you know there's that moment where they buy a um you know part of the, the the car engine and they put it on the back of the truck and it's going to be this project and these men are going to get together and they're going to fix this car um, but it has to be transported from point a to point b but it's this project that gives like real excitement and passion to this group of men and then they go to to pull off and it falls out of the back of the truck and smashes on the ground or it doesn't smash because it's a huge chunk of metal but it just crashes on the ground and it's the end of that project. And there's something so incredibly important about that actually, that you know, someone said, you know, the whole film's kind of in that, right? These little moments of fleeting pleasure and hope, right? End up just falling flat, right? And crashing down. Stan's wife wants physical intimacy and kindness and sweetness and touch. And it falls flat, just like that engine out of the back of the truck. And then, of course, the, the, the end sequence where the whole uh, group of friends, not the whole group, but a group of the friends, you know, get together and they're really excited to go to the horse races. And one character keeps talking about, oh, I have a, you know, a, a tip on this horse and he's a long shot and I'm going to win all this money. Then there's banter in the car about he's, I think, a 10 to 1 odds. And the woman's like, that's not long shot and you know they're bantering but they're everything is about this excitement and stan's wife is dressed up really pretty right their kid is with their daughter is with them um in the back of the car sitting on her lap or snuggled up against her i think and there's this sense of excitement and that excitement right the landscape changes they leave watts which is where the 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 film initially takes place that's where stan and, and his and his family and friends live right they leave watts and all of a sudden you start to get a you know a, a different sort of lush landscape i mean it's still the desert but it has desert lushness to it and they're driving along and the landscape changes they're anticipating this escape literally and figuratively from their daily lives which is such a grind and 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 zaps the the sense of pleasure and joy out of everyone but especially stan stan is the one who sees things most clearly and the car gets a flat tire and when it gets a flat tire that they pull over and everyone's like well put the spare tire on driver says owner of the car says i don't have one right and everything about their joy is just 
taken off the screen, right? Taken, taken out of the world. They can't, um, they can't replace the tire, right? They don't have the money for that. They can't. There's no spare tire, and so instead, and cars drive by, you know, perhaps headed to the to the horse race track, or perhaps just you know driving by on the street. And there's this sense of again of abandonment, right? The abandonment of not being able to fix the very thing or to modify or to repair the very thing that would allow even just a fleeting pleasure to take place. And so they do a U-turn and they have to drive back home to their to their neighborhood on one flat tire. And it was really interesting to me when we talked about this in class because so many of us were laughing at the relatability of 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 the affect, right? The feeling that the people had as they drove away. Like if you've ever had to do that, or you even just imagine doing that, there's something just so dispiriting. And we laughed and it was one of those like laugh to keep from crying moments. It's like, this is just the worst thing, the worst feeling. It's dispiriting, it's sad, it's frustrating, it's demoralizing. It's like everything you got excited about is just crushed. And you go back and there's going to be sparks flying. Um, you know, it's going to harm uh, other parts of your car. So your car goes from having a flat tire to multiple problems because you couldn't fix the flat tire. And that, that sequence, like really, if you want to think of it as a scene, I mean, it's a series of scenes. But that moment in the film, it doesn't conclude it because we do conclude seeing Stand Back at Work beating the sheep or not beating the uh you know disciplining the sheep as they go into the slaughterhouse to be killed and he has a smile right he seems to actually be enjoying himself for, the, for one of the few times in in the actual film i don't know what to make of his affect at the end i think it's a it's an incredible moment but there is this reminder at the end of the film that the I, that stan is a killer of sheep right he's someone who who herds the sheep into the slaughterhouse in an orderly fashion but he also as we have seen is a, is part of the sheep who are being herded in this slow death of nihilism and despair and pessimism the sense that black life is meaningless in this world and the film really struggles with that you know intentionally and I say struggles with it because it articulates it and makes it so obvious and clear to us. But it also shows how people work so hard for joy. They work so hard for pleasure, right? That Stan's wife works so hard and feels like humiliated and embarrassed as she tries to get joy out of her husband, right? Joy for herself and for him through their physicality, right? There's some amazing scenes with children right for me of you know they're finding joy but the adults can't get there so there's this sense of for me of the depiction of the children to adults as this sort of outline of the procession of of unherded sheep right the children and then the herded sheep on the way to slaughter right which are all of the adults in one form or another some at the very you know opening of the pen of the where they're being herded into the to the slaughterhouse and others well into it like stan and that sense that that element of the film which is really its core element is why for me this is really uh such a pessimistic film 
that it, like Fanon is trying to say, like, look, there is no place for a full sense of self in an anti-black world for black people. Killer Sheep, I think, has its own argument or demonstration of this position, which is moving people in and out of the slaughterhouse, right, as Stan's job, but also as the the demographics of the film from youth to to full adults. And that in that way, that sense of like the sheep who, you know, are being herded to the end of the slaughterhouse, the humans, right, being that it's not sheep as like passive people. Right, so sheep can't resonate that way. I think that's our, our contemporary resonance of the rhetoric around sheep is thinking about sheep as passive humans. But we're not talking about sheep as passive humans here. We're talking about, you know, uh, sheep as, as I'll say it this way to evoke Fanon, inhabitants of the zone of non-being, right? And in that way, not having any capacity to direct their future. There is no, to harken back to Davis, and this is part of, of what, uh, why I paired the two, the Davis Lecture on Liberation and Burnett's Killer of Sheep. The reason why I paired them is because, you know, what Davis was arguing was that it's through confrontation that we become our, uh, an authentic sense of liberated self. But what Killer of Sheep shows, I think, is the desire for even just fleeting joy in order to sustain life in order to survive in spaces of radical abandonment, but also, and this is a critical thing I'll conclude on, that the abandoned space, the abandoned landscape of killer of sheep is not just abandoned because there's no one there, but in that abandonment, no one there outside of the residence, right? Um, But that, that, that abandonment is abandonment by the very people, the very structures, the very institutions, the very political formations that one would confront in Davis's account of liberation. So what does it mean for this community where there's no one to confront or so little to confront? How then do people live in abandoned spaces, unable to confront and negate in order to become their fuller, more authentic selves. That's the nihilism, the sense of meaninglessness, that's the despair, and that's the pessimism of Burnett's Killer of Sheep. And why it, I think, shows that any kind of element, or any kind of, sorry, movement that Davis describes premised on this notion of of negation and confrontation and violence and self-realization has to actually be insurgent. It has to leave where it is. It has to leave those spaces where it's abandoned and find ways of confronting directly those who oppress rather than, as the history of Watts had been, a destruction of one's own neighborhood, right? He's not being a sort of moral shamer about that, I think, in the film. I mean, it's, this is implicit, but the fact that it's in Watts, and I think he's, say, he's you know, asking, like, you know, what has come of our riots, which were, were, were legendary in the late 1960s, right? That nothing came of that precisely because it was an insurgent, right? It didn't confront the oppressor. So there is no different sense of self that's liberated that has emerged out of those riots, out of those violent confrontations. Because it was simply a confrontation of sheep to sheep, not sheep with their killers. That requires leaving the neighborhood. 
that requires desiring that negation rather than escape, right? Which is the horse race. It requires a, a, a vision of, of leaving the neighborhood in search of negation, in search of confrontation, in search of violence, in order to return to that place with a different sense of self, a different sense of social, political, and cultural reality.